All-star closer, Kenley Jansen, we have a question. What's the best podcast of all time? Baseball isn't boring, baby. I'm Rob Bradford, and every single day I'm sitting down with the biggest names to show you this great game is the greatest game. It's my podcast. It's my passion. It's a cause I started more than two years ago and is now the most prolific national daily baseball pod. There is another fact, so jump aboard the B.I.B. Express. Follow and listen to Baseball Isn't Boring, presented by Wasabi Hot Cloud Storage on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. 97.1 FM Talk Podcast. This hour of the Mark Reardon Show is sponsored by Gamma Tree Experts. Your trees deserve the best care. Call Gamma Tree Experts. Mark Reardon. All the spending, all the regulating, turning off the oil and gas bigots, all these things that chickens have come on the roost. The Mark Reardon Show. You can lead a man to the presidency, but you can't make him think. The only begotten gains of Putin's kleptocracy. Yeah. This is the Mark Reardon Show. Oh, that's a good one. That's a new open. Sue, you didn't have the headphones on. You sure heard that one. It's pretty good. Ah, good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. I just want to go on the record here as um, starting the show saying two things. I do not own a Corvette, and I do not have classified documents in my garage with my Corvette. So I just want put that out there in the effort of full disclosure, just in case Mary Carlin is listening this afternoon. This has gotten very interesting with the president today. KJP is doing, let's just tune into KJP. Let's see what she's saying right now. Ducey just asked his question. Hang on here. See if we can get this. Uh, will this work? that says, yeah, don't look at this classified information that was found. Again, there's a process here. The process is that when the lawyers found that these documents existed, they reached out to uh, the archive and also the Department of Justice. That is the process, and they have been uh, they have been cooperating uh, closely, working closely uh, with the Department of Justice. And now, as you've heard, the Attorney General made a, a statement today, and so I would refer you uh, to them. All right, everybody. Thank you. Oh, look at that. We tuned in right as she was wrapping up. Uh, I have, I think Fred is flipping around the Ducey question from just a few minutes ago. Essentially, if you have not been paying attention to the news of the day, we now have three different instances where classified documents were found um, hidden or I hidden, I, I'm not, I don't know, in, in possession of the president, right? In a garage where I guess Hunter Biden certainly could have had access to it. Now, there there are some differences between the Trump case and, and this case, but not enough to avoid a special counsel because that's what Merrick Garland did today. Thank God he did that because otherwise this Justice Department would be completely in question. It's already in question enough. But here's what he said today. Look, there's three different instances for these classified documents. Interestingly enough, they've known about these for a little while, and then all of a sudden they're going to tell us about it, right? On the evening of November 4th, 2022, the National Archives Office of Inspector General contacted a prosecutor at the Department of Justice. It informed him that the White House had notified the archives that documents bearing classification markings were identified at the office of the Penn Biden Center for Diplomacy and Global Engagement located in Washington, D.C. That office was not authorized for storage of classified documents. All right. So that, that's the first incident, November 4th. Uh, then the next one. On December 20th, President Biden's personal counsel informed Mr. Lausch that additional documents bearing classification markings were identified in the garage of the president's private residence in Wilmington, Delaware. President Biden's counsel informed Mr. Lausch that those documents were among other records from the period of the president's service as vice president. 
the FBI went to the location and secured those documents. Okay, so that's that's two. Might as well go for the trifecta, right? This morning, President Biden's personal counsel called Mr. Lausch and stated that an additional document bearing classification markings was identified at the president's personal residence in Wilmington, Delaware. Right, geez, at this point, you may want to place some bets on whether they're going to find a fourth round tomorrow. It might be like the vote for Kevin McCarthy last week, but here's what he did today. Earlier today, I, saw, I signed an order appointing Robert Hur a special counsel for the matter I've just described. The document authorizes him to investigate whether any person or entity violated the law in connection with this matter. The special counsel will not be subject to the day-to-day supervision of any official of the department, but he must comply with the regulations, procedures, and policies of the department. So now you have a special counsel looking into Trump's classified documents. You have a special counsel looking into uh, President Biden. Now, there are implications for this, obviously, beyond what's happening with the special counsel investigation. That's the 2024 presidential race, obviously. And there are already I don't know if you would call this, Sue, a conspiracy theory or just kind of putting the pieces of the puzzle together, because. As you might imagine, you know who might be having a good day today in California, even though he's got a mess on his hands with all kinds of flooding and stuff like that? That's Gavin Newsom. Because they're, um, now I'm not arguing that the Democrats are, are mapping this out for an exit strategy for Joe Biden, although I have seen that out online. And I think people are joking, but maybe not. But this would create an immense amount of political trouble for Joe Biden running in a presidential year, especially when you can't blame the Republicans for doing some of the same things because you've done this as well. I think I got Ducey in here. Uh, Hang on a second. They put it in here. Well, first, let me play what what, um, Ducey asked the president a question today. And this was interesting because according to Jonathan Turley, when he analyzed this on Fox, maybe even Biden said too much. But here, check this out. Classified material next to your Corvette. What were you thinking? Let me, uh, I'm going to get a chance to speak on all this, God willing, soon. But as I said earlier this week, people, and by the way, my Corvette's in a locked garage. Okay? So it's not like you're sitting out in the street. But anyway. Yes, as well as my Corvette. Um, But as I said earlier this week, people know I take classified documents and classified material seriously. I also said we're cooperating fully and completely with the Justice Department's review. As part of that process, my lawyers reviewed other places where documents in my, uh, of, from my time as vice president were stored, and they finished the review last night. They discovered a small number of documents of classified markings and storage areas and file cabinets in my home and my, in my, my, my personal library. This was done in the case of the Biden Penn. This was done in the case of the Biden Penn Center. The Department of Justice was immediately, as was done, the Department of Justice was immediately notified, and the lawyers arranged for the Department of Justice to take possession of the document. So you're going to see. We're going to see all this unfold. I'm confident. Yeah, I don't even know if you got anything from there because he stumbled through it so much. But this is what uh, Turley said after that. And, you know, it was real interesting earlier today. I was following this on Fox and Turley and McCarthy were going back and forth and, and talking about, look, I think a lot of people are making the case that it doesn't matter if this was inadvertent or not. You're not allowed to have these classified documents. And one of those guys was talking about a few cases in the past where, you know, State Department employees or people along those lines were found with some classified documents. They came down hard 
on them. But here's what he said about the Corvette statement in particular. And one of the other things that was kind of funny today, as soon as the Corvette information got out there, there were people, this is where Twitter becomes somewhat entertaining, very entertaining and valuable, people posting pictures with the Corvette because I guess uh, the president posed with Jay Leno, who was around the Corvette. So a lot of people had access to the Corvette, not that they were in the garage with the documents, but listen to what... um, what Turley says here, because I think this is kind of interesting when you kind of break it down, although now I lost the bite. Fred's overlooking my shoulder. Fred, where did that bite go? I had it right there. Turley, here it is. There we go. You know, the problem is they gave the president a written statement, and then he decided to preface that statement with a uniquely uh, uh, ill-advised statement, you know, saying that, you know, this was, after all, a locked garage where I keep my Corvette. Uh, it, 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 that's going to really resonate with a lot of people. The Corvette standard doesn't actually ap- uh, appear in the Federal <laughs> Register. Although, you know, Corvette did have a, a slogan for many years that it's like a car, only better. But we don't apply that to classified documents. All right. So, I, you know, I listened. They, they started this briefing with KJP relatively late compared to when it was uh, scheduled. And I was listening to a good portion of it, and there were questions that were asked of her at the beginning. And she kept saying basically the same thing over and over here, which I don't think they've changed the messaging in the last couple of days. But I I haven't heard all of this. Uh, We were just starting the show when Ducey was asking the question. So here's what she said to start off. We are confident that a thorough review will show that these documents were inadvertently misplaced and the president and his lawyers acted promptly upon discovering of this mistake. All right, so he was not amongst the first to be called upon today, but he was called upon, and he coined a new phrase. Uh, I don't know if I've seen this one out online, but you will now. Thank you, Corrine. Another one on GarageGate. (laughs) What is the White House trying to hide? Nothing. Someone gave the president a statement to read on Tuesday that was incomplete at best, misleading at worst. Who? So I have read out the president's statement. I have read it out yesterday and what he said. He said that he he respects or he takes classified information and documents very seriously. That's what he said. He said that he did not know that the, the records were there. He does not know what's in them. He said that. You heard from him directly on this. And his team has been cooperating fully, fully. And not only that, again, I'll say this, the attorney general said this himself, that he heard from the team shortly after. So we have laid out, laid out uh, what has occurred here. You've heard from the White House counsel. Uh, I just read the statement uh, from uh, from his lawyer. And again, uh, you know, we take this very seriously, and so the that president was, boy, does if you, as well. If you had, sorry, I cut her off there at the end. If you had some sort of drinking game where it's we take this very seriously, you would have been wasted drunk by now. Follow up from Ducey. When will the White House release a log of visitors to the Wilmington House? You know, um, Peter, you've asked this question, or as your colleagues have asked this question before. Let's not forget uh, what we did here in this White House. We instituted something that the last administration 
got rid of, which is putting out the White House, uh, putting, uh, making sure that there was a White House log, extensive White House log, so the American I mean, people got to see again. Yeah, you know, she's not answering the question, right? Classified material. Again, I am telling you, we did something that the last administration got rid of. We- All right, so you know, one thing that I don't know why my brain crosses over into this, but I was thinking about this. I don't think there's a live Saturday Night Live this weekend. Maybe there is. Usually there it's later be. in January. Yeah, there should be. <laughs> but think about the um, the late night comedians tonight. You know, because this is they're going to somehow. This is my prediction. They'll somehow flip this around and make this all about Trump, even though now it's about Biden and they can't run away from it. It's three different instances, but they'll make it about Trump tonight. I guarantee you that. I read in a, a online article of Newsweek that it, in September the president was asked why, by Scott Pelley how he felt when he saw the DOJ images of the top secret documents on the floor of yeah, Trump's well, no, Florida look, I home. have the audio. Here's, here, we yeah, okay. yeah, here we go. When you saw the photograph of the top secret documents laid out on the floor at Mar-a-Lago, what did you think to yourself looking at that image? How that could possibly happen. How one, anyone could be that irresponsible. Well, that's why Ducey yesterday, remember, he started off his question is, how can anyone be that irresponsible? Oh. That was his question. Now, we, we had a new show open, if you noticed here a few minutes ago, and I've been quite the fan. I think I've documented this uh, of Senator John Kennedy from Louisiana over the years because he just uh, he's a wordsmith. Sue, I think that's the best way to put it. So I haven't even heard these, but I have full faith and confidence that these are awesome from Senator Kennedy. Well, I, I just find all of this surreal. It's um, it's almost like watching a Quentin Tarantino movie. I, I suppose my first thought is that uh, all of this is yet one more example of why in Washington, D.C., if it were not for double standards, there wouldn't be any standards at all. Well, yeah, I don't think he's wrong about that. Um, you know, this is at the Biden Penn Center. What's the role of the University of Pennsylvania uh, Biden Center in all of this? The, uh, the Penn Biden Center is not some normal Ivy League think tank. It was, we now know that it's in Washington, D.C. It was a hangout, a clubhouse for President Biden and his people before they were inaugurated. And allegedly it is funded with tens of millions of dollars uh, from China. What, what's up with that? All right. So that's an interesting question here. But, you know, a lot of people today, and this is this is legit, you know, like the, the real reporters, so-called reporters at the New York Times, Washington Post, and elsewhere should maybe trying to find out the answer to this. What in the hell was the National Archives doing through all this? Why was there not more communication? Because that's part of the focus and should be now moving forward. Senator Kennedy raising questions. The, the National Archives was scathingly critical of President Trump and his documents. Uh, They've known about all this since November 2nd or 3rd. Um, They've been missing in action with respect to President Biden and his documents. You you couldn't have found them with a search party. We still haven't heard from them. What's up with that? Yeah, what is up with that? Life is full of contradictions. But where I come from, we call that hypocrisy. Yep. Uh, he weighed in here. There's one more here because I think he weighed in on the transportation secretary as well. Let's hear this. I like the secretary, but less than 30 days ago, his department uh, told the states that they ought to make building new roads the lowest possible priority because of climate change. 
Yeah, uh, utterly ridiculous. All right, so there you go. We're off and running here. We have a special counsel for the former president, for the current president. We have a presidential election. You know, Ron DeSantis and Gavin Newsom sitting back there saying, we're not going to say anything at this point. There's no need to. Yeah, let's just let this move forward. But the mainstream media is now not able to turn away from this. They can't say there's nothing to see here. They can't really... Well, they'll continue to spin it, don't get me wrong. But now that you have a special counsel that's appointed, um, uh, they're required to, to pay attention, even though they ordinarily wouldn't. So we'll, we'll certainly keep you posted. We'll have some reaction to that here this afternoon. One of the things um, that the rebels wanted last week when they wouldn't vote for Kevin McCarthy is a vote on term limits. And I, I think that topic of term limits is a little... Nuance. We'll get into that with Micah Beckwith, who is the director of Indiana's U.S. Term Limits Group. So we'll get into that this afternoon. Sue's News is coming up in the next hour. Dave Strom, who has become uh, a new great contributor to the show from Hot Air. He's one of the associate editors now. First of all, I had a great column on Prince Harry, which kind of summed up where my feelings are because he uh, – <laughs> let me see what Dave's headline was. And I don't even know if he – if he writes the headline, Sue, but this was relatable to me because, oh, yeah, he says, I can't unhear this, so I share the pain with you. There was something in that book. You know, he does the audiobook too, Prince Harry, right? Oh, of course he does. <clears throat> he talks about, I'll let Dave do it because it's bizarre. It's really? Just, oh, it's what just, do you mean it's bizarre? Does he, is he, well, just... he mentions, I, Sue, I don't know. Here's, here's what I'll tell you. When I sent this to Abby today, I think this is the best way to explain it. I had to apologize in advance. For her pulling the audio, and I had to request her to not send me to HR for this. What? You're, when you hear the soundbite, oh, what he's I'm talking about. Out. I that, well, there's that. a male appendage that's involved, and his okay. in particular. So we'll get into that. Uh, guess who called me this morning? Who? Right around 10:30, I was a little shocked. Lewis Reed called me this morning. Oh. As he was about to report to federal prison. What did he in say? Arkansas. Oh, I'm well, interested. I think he was basically saying his goodbyes yeah. before he went oh, into gosh. the uh, to the pokey. But Jeff, <coughs> excuse me, Jeff Smith, former state senator who's been in federal prison, will kind of weigh in on what those um, good you know first hours and first days are going to be like. And gosh. then we'll get into the Kim Gardner situation with the reverse racism charge with Beavis Shock in the five o'clock hour. Selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage, to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is here to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 15% better on average compared to other other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash odyssey podcast all lowercase go to shopify.com slash odyssey podcast now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in shopify.com slash odyssey podcast all-star closer kenley jansen we have a question what's the best podcast of all time 
Baseball isn't boring, baby. I'm Rob Bradford, and every single day I'm sitting down with the biggest names to show you this great game is the greatest game. It's my podcast. It's my passion. It's a cause I started more than two years ago and is now the most prolific national daily baseball pod there is. Another fact. So jump aboard the B.I.B. Express. Follow and listen to Baseball Isn't Boring, presented by Wasabi Hot Cloud Storage on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Got all kinds of breaking news today, too. Some of it is sports related. Sue, did you hear Matt Holiday is not going to be the bench coach for the Cardinals? I read that. It's, it's just to spend time with family. Is that the deal? You know, I think it really is that. I, I, I do, because I saw a quote from Matt Holiday, and it just seemed to make sense. It was um, essentially something that, let's see here, Ben Fredrickson over at the Post. Here's what he said. This just resonated. And, you know, we had Matt on the show last month. He was great for the uh, Tree of Hope campaign at Cardinal Glennon. And I think he's a straight shooter. He said, in theory, four months out, it seemed like something I wanted. As it got closer, I just felt like I stopped playing in the majors because I didn't want to miss all the things you miss. When you say yes to something, you say no to something else. So I think this is about his family. You don't know. His wife could have said, Matt. Yeah, you're going to be gone 150 days out of the year, whatever the case may be. He's still got a kid in high school. He's got his other son that's you know been drafted um, and is in the Orioles system. So I think great things will happen. And he's been he's still been coaching down there in Oklahoma. So I think everything's going to be fine. But we'll uh, we'll get into that just a little bit. It's um, Super Joe McEwing. His name is Super Joe. How can you not like that? Exactly. He came from the White Sox and he'll be the new bench coach, which is a very that's like second in command, um, you know, with Ali Marmol. So we'll certainly keep you posted on that. We have Dave Strom from Hot Air coming up in the next uh, hour. And Johnny Holzen, my buddy from the Well Hungarians, will be here in the 5 o'clock hour as well. So one of the things that the Rebels in the house, uh, the Matt Gateses, the Boberts, and Chip Roys, and everybody else, although I, I do draw a little distinction between even some of those three names, they want a vote on term limits. And that was something that apparently was agreed to uh, with the negotiations with Kevin McCarthy. Micah Beckwith is with us, director of Indiana's U.S. Term Limits Group. Let's talk about term limits and whether or not congressional term limits might make it through the House. Obviously, the president's not going to not going to sign that. Well, I, I don't know. We'll see Mike what thinks about that. Micah, how are you? Good afternoon. Hey, I'm doing well. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Let's let's you know, this has been an idea that I've certainly talked about for decades, term limits. It never seems to go anywhere because obviously it's the members that would be affected that would have to, you know, vote on this, which is one of the reasons it was demanded, I think, last week. In Missouri, I was here during this debate 30 something years ago, and we were coming off of a situation where we had a guy named Bob Griffin, who was the Speaker of the House. He ended up getting indicted as, you know, let's let's face it, a fair amount of politicians do. And then we ended up with term limits. Now, one of the, and I was a fan of those, by the way, uh, one of the consequences, though, has been a bit of lack of experience in the legislature, and there have been some downside of that. And I even think people who supported it back 30 years ago would admit that. Now, congressional term limits might be a little different. What would be the proposal specifically that your group would would advocate, for example? Yeah, so uh, U.S. term limits is advocating for a uh, only a federal term limit uh, bill. So this would this would be uh, U.S. House members would only be able to serve for three terms at six years, and then uh, U.S. members of the Senate would be able to serve for two terms, and that would be twelve years. So you got twelve in the Senate and six in the House. And uh, you know the reason behind this, the reason we're we're advocating for federal term limits, not state or local term limits, is is it's a lot easier to 
track down your state reps and your state senators and your local you know, like you, you you'll see them at ball games or you'll see them you know at the grocery store you can you have a little bit more recourse when they're doing things you don't like yeah you're u.s senator you probably won't ever cross <laughs> right right the there's senator, a big right? difference yeah there is a big exactly. difference exactly yes exactly yep so that's that's really why we're, we're pushing this but to your point earlier yeah they probably won't vote on limiting themselves uh, but if they don't, there's a mechanism in the Constitution called an Article 5 convention. So if you look at Article 5, uh, it allows for a constitutional convention. We've never had one since the, the very first constitutional convention back in Philadelphia. But uh, we could, if we get two-thirds of the state to pass resolutions, we could trigger a constitutional convention, and we could call for term limits and amend the Constitution, and we could have the 28th Amendment be a U.S. term limit. Uh, uh, amendment, and and then we could do it for them. We could say, hey, you guys in Washington, you're not doing a good job. We're gonna we're gonna take the reins here and do it ourselves. And so that's that's the mechanism that we're working towards. But hey, if Congress wants to do it themselves, we're good with that. I I, I just like you said, I don't I don't know if that's necessarily gonna be the most uh, uh, plausible of all. Well, and, and the problem with the other scenario, and I'm by the way, I'm a fan. Uh, I think this is something that we need to strongly consider. But on the Constitutional Convention part or the, the you know, the amended part, you, you would have that's still an uphill challenge. Getting all those states on board in the process would be complicated. Right. I mean, they've tried before. I don't even know if any states have voted on this yet. Uh, there have been. So we've got U.S. term limits. We've got over half dozen. Uh, so I think we got close to I think we we're seven or eight every year. I mean, every it's constantly changing. So we're, we're moving that direction. I will tell you this. Uh, there is a there's another movement uh, called a Convention of States, and that's been kind of going on a little bit longer than U.S. term limits. They're calling for a constitutional convention to get term limits, uh, a balanced budget. And I think there's one other uh, amendment they want to see. And I, I don't remember it off the top of my head. But they have, I believe, close to 22 states that have signed on to their resolution. So, you know, theoretically, it's possible. they're working hard, yeah. they could trigger that in the next five to ten years. Well, and you would have to, you would know this, Micah, but when you look at the polling of this, my sense would be, maybe I'm wrong, that most of the American people, I don't care what side of the aisle they're on, would say, okay, this is probably a pretty good idea, right? Absolutely. So we've done polling on it, and it's upwards of 80 percent of Americans think term limits are a good idea. So it, it's really funny. You know, I'm, a, I'm a constitutional conservative. I, I'm kind of a firebrand in Indiana, and I'll, you know, I'll tick off some of the, the craziest leftists out there. And, uh, but then I, I, come, I come in with this term limit stuff. I start talking about that. And they're like, you know what? Actually, we kind of agree with you. And so it, it's, really, it's really interesting. It is a very bipartisan thing where you, you go to Walmart and ask you know, 10 people, hey, do you want our, our politicians to be to have term limits in Washington, 10 out of 10 are probably going to say, yes, we do. So, <laughs> Well, it's just, you know, I think you, you pointed out on your side or in your release, you got Kevin McCarthy. I don't have anything personally against Kevin McCarthy. I think some of those people who voted against him last week do. But look, he spent 16 years in the House. He's in his ninth term. We know how long Nancy Pelosi's been there. We know that power corrupts. We, we probably know that the founders didn't really envision a situation like this. And, you know, one of the other challenges then would be, and I don't know how you get around this, uh, but you, you, I think, and I think the American people feel like in the House of Representatives in particular, if you just had some more regular people representing constituents, but the game is so focused on money, it's very difficult to be a grassroots candidate. So you just don't have those types of people. And then what happens is the vicious cycle of, and I don't know that this would be stopped by term limits. You got someone in there for three terms and then they become a lobbyist, right? Yeah, I mean, that's that's part of it. I mean, we're, this, there's always going to be battles to keep uh, our government pure and healthy. Uh, 
and and it's not an easy fight. But this is one this is one mechanism of kind of coming at the cancer that's that I think we all would say is taking over Washington. And and uh, it, but to your point, we are supposed to be a citizen legislature. I mean, our founders wanted that to be the case. It was it was a government for the people and and by the people. And and we are we're, we're, we've lost that. It's not that anymore. And you know the the reason the the House of Representatives only has two year terms is because it, it, I've I've actually talked to some members of Congress now and they, they don't like the fact that it's only two years. They wish it would be four or six years like the Senate because they're always in campaign mode. Yeah, but that's right. What they fail what they fail to realize is the reason it's two year terms and our founders set it up that way is because if you were only technically supposed to ter- serve one term and you would get on your horse, you'd you'd ride hours to Washington, you'd, you'd, you'd know what your community wants because you just left your community and you wouldn't be out of touch with your community until about year, the end of year two, then you start to lose touch with your community and then you go back and you, 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 you high five someone else, say, okay, I did my duty, now you go and serve. They, it really wasn't a fun thing. It's kind of like jury duty. You, you do it, but you don't really necessarily like to. You're, it's your community saying, we need you to go to Washington until tell them what we want as a community. And so that's really what it was. We've turned it into this, this system that creates uh, these pseudo kings and queens. And that's not, that's not good. No. And, and it has become a, you know, it's become a career choice for, for a lot of politicians. And I, I, I don't really, you know, this may sound weird, especially from someone who, you know, who talks to people on the radio about this stuff, but it's a little mysterious to me why anyone would want to do these things because I, I get public yeah. service, but it's just, especially given the media climate and everything, but let's just kind of take a step from that. They're not well compensated, right? Um, it's got to be motivated by the power for the most part. Maybe I'm being yeah, cynical, I, but, I mean, just, just look at government. We, we've got a situation where we've got to mention this going in. We've got a, um, the president of our board of aldermen and two other aldermen are going to prison. They're reporting today because of a corruption scandal, a bribery scandal. So, you know, let's face it, the the... They're not the only ones doing it, right? And that's the impression that a lot of voters have. That's right. And uh, I, I ran a congressional race. I, I ran in 2020, and I, I'm a pastor, and I, I didn't have any money. I was able – like, you know, I raised about $140,000, which for me is like a lot of money. I was sure. like, dang, that's, you know, that's like the Lord raining, raining down funds from heaven right there, right? Um, but there were 15 candidates in our primary, and I would say – Four, I ended up taking third out of 15, but I would say out of the top six, not, not including me, so the five others, probably had independent wealth that they invested three to $400,000 of their own money, and then they also raised another you know, two to $300,000. So they were upwards. The, one, the, the lady who won, her name is Victoria Sparts, and she, uh, she, she Yeah, we heard million- some of her audio last week because she was one of the holdouts. She was voting president a couple of times during all that vote. She She's got the accent, president. right? Yeah. <laughs> That's right. She does. Yes. Very thick Ukrainian accent. She's and she's a friend of mine. And I, I like Victoria. And uh, and we were kind of the two strong conservatives in that race. But but the reason really, I mean, she was able to pull it out is because th- she invested about a million dollars of her family's money into into that primary. And so it really keeps the little guy. Out. We want the we want the normal guy to be able to go to Washington, but they can't. No normal guy can do that. What normal person wants to, you know, try to spend hundreds of thousands of dollars, potentially of their own money, and then get blasted by the media, get blasted by the other side, potentially get canceled when when you come back home? I mean, it, it's you're right. I don't I don't know why people want to do the job other than just that lust for power. Or 
you really do believe that you have a duty to serve your country and this is a way you can do it. Well, but- and I want to believe that. You know, I'd like to believe that, but it, it's really difficult for the cynicism to not take over, especially given the climate that we're in right now. Yeah, that, that's that's right. I mean, I, I think you're. I think we're all cynical. I, I don't think that's uh, necessarily just uh, a, an anomaly. I think we all see it. And we all, but but you know what? That's a good thing. I, I would if I, I'd rather I'd rather the citizens be cynical than to just blindly trust the government. You know, our founders didn't even trust the government they were creating. That's why they put all the checks and balances in. And you know, I, I teach the constitutional history and kind of the the biblical kind of ties that constitution has and 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 they they understood the founders understood the human heart and they knew that the human heart was was desperately wicked and no one could understand no one could 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 uh, fathom the wickedness the depths of wickedness of the human heart and so they said even the best of us could could potentially become prey to the lust of power. Absolutely. In a perfect, yeah. yeah, perfect example of that is the people I just spoke of were deemed like Lewis Reed, who was the president of the board of aldermen, who actually called me today. He was deemed like one of the good guys. Like the the two out of the three that went down for a lot of people here, both on both sides of the aisle, they were shocked. So then, you know, you sit back, you analyze, you think about it and say, wow, if, if the people that we thought were kind of fighting the elements here in St. Louis trying to do the right things, if they're doing this, then what else is happening? Yeah. Well, you know, term limits really kind of was birthed out of this idea of, uh, of uh, George Washington stepping back and stepping down from a two term, two terms of presidency. I mean, and he did it because of that very reason. If you read his writings, he knows that he doesn't want to become prey to that wickedness of the human heart, the lust for power. I think he even realized he's like, listen, I, I'm two terms and I'm done. And, and you know what, it was really tempting for him because the, uh, the army, the Continental Army, wasn't getting paid by Congress, and they were getting ticked. And so they went to their commander, who was, you know, their general George Washington, who is now president. And they said, "Listen, we will, we'll, we'll prop you up as king. We'll overthrow Congress. We'll make the Washington line king, and you'll have your descendants will be king of America for for generations to come." We're tired of Congress, and he said, "No." He said, that "We've just fought a revolution to to end this idea of a monarchy. It has to be for the people." And I can't imagine the temptation that that would have been for him to do that. I mean, it's almost kind of like when Jesus was taken up into the into the mountain by by the devil, and the devil said, "I'll give you all of this if you just bow your knee to me." Right? And I think I think the devil knows that if he can tempt even Christ with power like that then who are we to withstand that ultimate lust of power? And I, so, again, we got to have those checks and balances. And that's why term limits, I really believe, is a great, just, it's a great mechanism to protect us all from that lust for power. Mike, a great conversation. I really appreciate you coming on here on 97.1 FM Talk in St. Louis. Hey, thanks for having me. Yep, keep us posted. It came out just a couple hours ago. Lisa Marie Presley hospitalized after experiencing a medical emergency, transferred to a hospital after suffering cardiac arrest at her home in Calabasas, California. They um, they did CPR when they arrived on the scene. She regained a pulse, was transported to receive further medical care. Apparently, she was at the Golden Globes. Nobody knows that because nobody watched the Golden Globes. Did you see the ratings for the Globes? Well, how oh, bad, bad was they it? Were really bad. Dismal? Like, yeah, really, really. Nobody well, really watched. I'm sorry to hear that about her. I know she lost a son in 2020, and uh, I'm sure that... Uh, she I didn't know that. Been, yeah. I guess the story in Rolling Stone says that she um, had... She wrote something called the United States of Opioids, and 
She says, you may read this and wonder how after losing people close to me, I also fell prey to opioids. Uh, I was recovering after the birth of my daughters, Vivian and Finley, when the doctor prescribed me opioids for pain. It only took a short-term prescription in the hospital for me to feel the need to keep taking them, which is what you hear about opioids all the time. Uh, And then you're right. Yeah, Benjamin Keel was her son, killed himself in 2020. So that's got to be a really, really tough situation. Just all that tragedy in her life. Uh, Yeah, it it doesn't help. Um, Right. Let's put Michael Jackson into that mix if if you'd like to. Right. Just because of his death, too. I I don't know. Uh, All right. I never got into this. Very curious about your opinion. I was going to ask Hayes and Alex this yesterday. uh, And I've always had some strong opinions about this just because when I was in high school, I don't think I would describe myself as obese. But I did wear the husky sizes when I was a kid. I weighed about 208 pounds when I was a senior at Parkway West. And then you know, never went back to that weight, probably got up into the 180s, but I stay relatively lean and I, I focus on that. And it's because of my self-esteem and because well, <laughs> I was sure. a fatty, right? I, I, so yeah, I'm just it. being honest about that. But um, the story that came out the other day is children with obesity. And I look around, you know, I have, it's interesting. I have a son who is 25, who's skinny as a rail and always has been. He could eat anything he wants. He just, that's how he is. My other son, Aiden, who is the teacher in Columbia, boy, he, he, did not meet a carb that he didn't love for a long time, and he gained a ton of weight. He's, he hates it because there's some pictures even around the house where he's got, you know, a pretty pretty fat <laughs> composition. Well, he, yeah. But now he's, it was about eating right. Fluffy. Okay? It, was, it was really he just changed his lifestyle. But they want children with obesity to be offered surgery now. Oh, um, no. The no, American no. Academy of Pediatrics' new guidance on childhood obesity, the first in 15 years, moves away from watchful waiting or delaying treatment to see if children outgo obesity. The group is advising pediatricians to offer treatment options early and at the highest availability intensity for one of the most common chronic diseases. Now, I was watching, yeah, I don't even know, really know that I, I yeah, exactly. So I, I don't feature Laura Ingram. I don't have anything against Laura. I don't know that she's my favorite on Fox. Uh, she's never been on the show. But then I saw her say this, and I thought, you know, she is right on. And we focused on health. I focused on health during the early part of the pandemic in the sense that there was never a national discussion, if you will, about and now there's really, really interesting data that's come out that showed that people who exercised and actually took care of themselves didn't die of COVID. All right. For the most part. Go go figure. But we didn't focus on staying healthy or eating right or vitamin D or any of those things. So Larry Ingram, I think, hit it out of the park with this. While encouraging kindness is one thing, glamorizing obesity with its many health risks is quite another. But that's exactly what's happening in this inclusivity cult. So one of the things that's happening, I think, when she was, if I remember correctly, when I saw her deliver this, uh, the mantra, is, now this is going to be controversial. Yeah, I was going to say, to what is she okay. referring? I'm going to get in trouble here. I'm just going to tell you. You'll notice this. If you see ads for lingerie, bathing suits, anything that, that deals with women's clothing, maybe even men now, I don't know, but you'll see plus sizes mm-hmm. involved, right? It's not yeah. just all skinny models. Yeah, yeah. And you look at some of the, the people out there, I don't know if you want to talk about Lizzo and others, that are oh, I big see. and they, they yeah. embrace their big and beautifulness. So I'm just, that's what she's referring I to. See. I don't want to get my, I'm in enough trouble all the time, but that's what she's talking about. They're normalizing something we should be strongly discouraging. Because you weren't born with high BMI, you arrived at high BMI. And the more overweight we are, the greater the chance we're going to develop diabetes, heart disease, and cancer. But the popular culture says 
Stop the shaming. Start the selling. Yeah, I, I, this is just one of those things. And these are all the pediatricians out there that have signed on to this. Um, they're going to talk about six years and older. They may recommend treatment that would be, here's what it says, the most effective interventions require upwards of 26 hours over three to 12 months of intense in-person behavior and lifestyle treatment from healthcare providers. Such treatments include coaching on nutrition, physical activity, changes in behavior, such as role modeling by parents. That's all good, right? Yeah. That sounds like a good thing. But I guess what they're saying is, um, and that's for kids six and older, and maybe even as young, this is frightening, maybe even for kids as young as two in their families. But they say, this is time-consuming, and it's not universally available and often difficult to deliver. Let me translate that for you. What? It's going to be deemed racist, okay? It, it will. If you're going to do this with minorities and you're going to try them to not eat food that's bad for them, well, th- that's probably racism. Let me just predict that. So, Wait what's a minute. Go- eating healthy is just eating healthy. No, no, no. What they're saying is, you got to go back to what oh. I said. They're going to do these interventions. So the guidelines call for two things. The first is the intervention. The intervention means healthcare providers get with the patient, the family, coaching on nutrition, physical activity, trying to do okay. things to encourage them. But in the story, they basically say, and the American Academy of Pediatrics says, this is kind of time consuming and it's not universally available. So then you go to the second part. After this intensive therapy, which what I'm telling you is won't take place. They're going to jump to the solution that I'm going to describe. Weight loss drugs should be considered oh, for, for adolescents as young as 12. I, no, the a- no, no. Sue, we are completely on board it, this here. This is ridiculous. The AAP says while teens 13 and older with severe obesity should be evaluated for weight loss surgery. So they got to get the Al Roker surgery if they're 13 and up, uh, if all of this We're fails. We're now going to get kids on more pills. I can't take it anymore. If you want them to be in better shape, don't feed them stuff that's bad for them. Tell them how to do it properly. You don't have to have surgery right. and you don't have to take pills. It's ridiculous. We don't work at anything anymore. No, we don't. We just spent two years locking people down, telling them not to do healthy things like go to the beach and run outdoors without masks on. We can't have a national campaign that focuses on healthy eating. And I'm not for the government getting involved here in banning no, foods no, or no. things along those lines. But but <laughs> let me just say, think about some of the things they do want to ban compared to the effect that they have on society overall. I was horrified back, and, and some of this really stuck with me. I can't remember the name of the water park, but when I was still in Wisconsin, this would have probably been 2004, 2005, before I moved back here, we took my kids who, let's see, Aiden was born in 2000, Evan in 97, so they're very young at the time, right? Maybe not even 10 and um, 6 or something along those lines. But we looked around at this water park, and Becky and I looked at each other at the time, and we said, oh, my God, look at all these kids. I mean, these were kids that were this age. They were 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, who were not just wearing the husky sizes. They were obese and un- in an unhealthy way thinking, so I don't know what the solution well, is, but the, the nutrition aspect of this is never paid attention. Then we're told, well, poor people can't afford food that's good for them. I don't know what the answers are, but I do agree with you that interventions with drugs and no. all this surgery at that age Ugh. should not be amongst the um, the, the solutions at this point, right? It's ridiculous. I agree, Sue. Oh, there we my go. goodness. Three, we'll talk about maybe that on the roundtable tomorrow, which will feature Jane, State Senator Nick Shore, and former State Senator Jeff Smith. Sue's News is coming up. Get more at 971talk.com. 
baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up, and your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. 